I am Kevin Johnson, and I, for the past seven months, have been the community pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And I just got to tell you, I love my job. I just love it so much. I'm very blessed to be here, and let me tell you a couple reasons why. Earlier this summer, my mom was walking through my neighborhood with an old friend of hers. My mom used to live in my neighborhood, but actually, she lived there for quite a while. But when I moved in, she moved out. Go figure. But it wasn't really that bad. See, I bought her house, so she had to move out. Anyway, so she comes back and she walks with, with one of our neighbors. And, and uh, earlier this summer, she was doing that. And this neighbor woman said to my mom, You know, your son sure must love his new job. He used to just, when he would drive by, give me a little wave. And, and now I get this big wave accompanied by a smile. And sometimes he even rolls down the window and says, Hello. Kind of pride myself on being a stoic a lot of the times. I guess I'm letting my joy leak out and I better watch it. <laughs> People, you have no idea how my heart longed to be in ministry again. And some of you have heard that story. But in God's time, He made it happen. And He not only made it happen, He just made it happen at the greatest church I've ever been around. So I'm very thankful about the joy, the happiness that is in my life. Another plus of hanging around this place, uh, my wife tells me and others who are close to me tell me that I'm actually looking younger. That my uh, hair isn't as gray right here as it used to be and that those wrinkles that were showing up on my face aren't quite as deep. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. Now, in order to keep me from getting a fat head over something like that, God has me working with, among other groups, our singles ministry, and we have uh, our focus ministry is, is our singles ministry. And some of the people on the leadership team are a little on the young side. And they've taken to calling me geezer. <laughs> you know, we did that Mission Impossible sketch a few weeks ago. And you guys uh, really appreciated that. And we had a great response from it. And, well, I'll grant you that I'm a lot closer to the silver-haired Peter Graves in the TV version of the show than I am to the movie version Tom Cruise. I think Geezer's going a little bit too far, don't you? Come on! <laughs> besides, uh, my wife, and that's the one who really counts, thinks I'm looking a little younger. And besides, she has the gift of discernment. So there you have it. <laughs> You know, another blessing that I hadn't counted on when I took this job is I've actually lost some weight. Not a lot, mind you, but I'm a little bit skinnier than I was last January. That's a cool thing, especially since I've been warned that there's kind of this uh, Woodland Hills 10 pounds that you gain when you start hanging around here because there's food around all the time. And my job is meeting with people constantly. We, we, I meet regularly for lunches and breakfasts. and So that's just another perk. This is a great place to work. People, I feel blessed, and those are nice little perks. But the real story is this is just a great place to be around. God is at work here. His power is moving in our midst. I am changing, and I'm stretching, and I'm growing, and I'm more alive than I've been in previous years. And it's like this. It's God is mining for gold in the dirty cave of my life. He's mining for gold in a dirty cave. And I'm stretching. And I'm growing. And I'm thankful to be here. Now, my prayer is that you would experience the same sorts of 
things that I have been experiencing. Obviously, we can't all be on staff, but the point is just be here and plunge in. And I want to tell you how you can do that. My greatest fear, there aren't a lot of things in life that I fear. I I love to pursue thrill-type things because it's just a high and it's fun. And my wife worries about me a bit and she worries for the two of us, so I just don't worry at all. And there aren't many things that I fear. But one of the things I've always feared is living a mediocre life. I remember hearing a story as a young boy when I was in church and I have never gotten it out of my mind. It's the story of, let's, I'll personalize it, Kevin dying and going to heaven and, and Jesus Himself meets me at the pearly gates and begins to give me this grand tour. And I'm just awestruck. And then he takes me to this warehouse and he throws open these big warehouse doors and we step inside and I notice that the racks in this warehouse are just full of gifts of every size and shape and they're all beautifully wrapped. And I say, whoa, Lord, who are all these for? He said, actually, Kevin, they're for you. There were things that I wanted to give you while you were on earth. You just never opened up your life and received them. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to any of us. We're going to talk about how to avoid that today. Just in a couple of ways. But before we go any further, I need to ask you to join me in prayer. Would you? Lord, I'm so keenly aware that words are nothing but sounds that we attach meanings to. And and meaning is one thing, but power and significance is another. And we need You to fill and bless these words. I believe they are from You. And we need You to open our eyes and our hearts that You might speak to us today and we would be receptive to what You have to say. Do Your good work in each one of us, Lord, wherever we're at this morning, whatever our need, whatever our state of mind. Holy Spirit, we invite You to come and minister to us through these words. In Jesus' name, Amen. Woodland Hills Church believes that not much happens outside of community. We see that Jesus modeled the very same thing. He began His earthly ministry by forming a small group of disciples. Among that twelve, He had three or four people He was very close to, but He poured into those people because He knew He wasn't sent to be a lone ranger army to conquer the world. He did it with a group of people that He was in community with. He prayed for us at the end of His ministry. He fell on His knees before His Father. And you know what He prayed? He prayed that we would be one as He and the Father within the Trinity are one. So a couple of years ago, recognizing these things, Woodland Hills Church began to make some fairly drastic changes. Our ministries, our th- things like the children's ministry, scrapped their organizational structure and refocused all around ministry teams or ministry small groups so that you just didn't come and anonymously work alongside another adult as you rocked a baby or as you changed a diaper or as you told a story to some 
kindergartners, but that you would be in ministry together, a part of a team where people pray for each other and care about one another and support each other in their lives and in their ministries. We decided at the same time that we wanted not to be a church with small groups, but a church of small groups, where it just defined who we are because we understand Jesus' model and how important that is to unleashing the power of God in our lives. And so a big part of my job as community pastor is to work with our small group structure and try and make more and more of that sort of thing happen. And I want to tell you a little bit about how we're doing. And I can talk about my joy and my sorrow, both, as I bring up this topic. My joy is that our groups are going very well. We have many, many thriving groups. They're healthy. They're vibrant. Some are struggling, but that's part of the, the chaos of life that every group goes through. There are more groups than we've had ever before. We've grown our small group ministry by 66% since the first of this year. And I just thank the Lord for that. And that's my joy. You know what my sorrow is? Knowing that there are as many as hundreds of you who are waiting to have that sort of experience in a Woodland Hills small group and I can't raise up leaders fast enough. When we undertook this project, actually I was just getting involved at the church at that time. I wasn't on staff. Uh, We said that that's going to be about a five-year plan and we're well on our way. I think we're ahead of schedule. But the problem is, you know, we, we grow so fast. So that burdens me. Can I share that with you? I know there are hundreds of you who want to get into a Woodland Hills small group and I'm going as fast as I can. But it's a burden I can't carry on my own. You know, maybe I could if we were in a stagnant church. (laughs) I don't want to be in a stagnant church. Amen? I want to be in a church where the wind of the Spirit is blowing. I want to be in a church where people dare to believe that God is who He says He is. He is the Almighty Father who dwells within His children. Not for the purpose of warm fuzzies, but to build us into the image of His Son to empower us with the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead so that we will be a biblical community where people are truly changed and healed and empowered and set free. And I thank God that I am in such a church. The only problem is in a church like that, we grow like a weed and so the hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. So I need your help. I'm asking for your help today. If I could, I would put a vending machine out in the gathering area out behind our auditorium and you could just go out there after church and unload your pockets with some change, push a button, and out would pop a can of community. There is no such thing. If we are going to experience community here, we're all going to have to have a part in making community happen. I can't just give it to you. If I could, I would be that vending machine. But my job is to help you make it happen. How are we going to do that? I'm glad you asked. I want to read for you from Luke chapter 5. Verses 17 to 26. 
One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, He said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. People, there is a profound lesson about community here. It took me a while to see that. It was actually a person by the name of John Ortberg who I heard had preached a sermon on this text related to community. I haven't heard the message, but I, I went to the text as soon as I heard he had done that and it just jumped out at me. I want to share that with you today. It all starts with some nameless guys. Let's just say there were four of them. We don't know a lot of the details. We have no history about them. We don't know their names. We don't know their jobs. We know nothing about them, so there seems as though there was nothing remarkable about them. And that's the beauty of it. They were everyday guys like you and me. But they understood friendship. They knew about real community. They had this paralyzed friend who couldn't get off his mat. We can only imagine some of the details. How long he had been paralyzed, the text doesn't say. Was it an accident? Was he born that way? We don't know. If it was an accident, was it job-related? How long had they known him? Perhaps they cared for his daily needs. They fed him and moved him and cleansed him. I don't know. But I do know this. The real story starts in how I wish I could have been there. When these four friends were sitting around and one of them with a twinkle in his eye as his heart skips a beat says, Hey guys, let's take Jimmy to Jesus. 2,000 years later, I just get goosebumps thinking about it. I imagine myself being there as these four guys jump to their feet, their hearts racing as they begin to pace about their abode and they're saying, We can do this! We can do this, they exclaim. Tears start to melt across their cheeks. We're bringing Jimmy to Jesus. Unaware of the difficulty that lie ahead, they innocently grab the ropes they've used before to transport Jimmy on a mat, and they're off to fetch their friend. When they get to his place, Jimmy is too humble to speak. 
And maybe he's also too scared to hope. They've already done so much for him. They have been his little miracle every day in the mundane, tiresome necessities of his life. But he doesn't want to squelch their enthusiasm, but this is risky. I imagine that as they hustled off to the house where Jesus was teaching, it was a very bumpy ride. I can just hear Jimmy on that mat. Hey, slow down, guys. Easy, guys. Come on, guys. Hey, if I fall off one more time, Jesus is going to have to raise the dead. But they finally make it to the house. And these guys are too excited to realize how exhausted and sweaty they are. And the four friends enthusiastically approach the entry only to find it jammed with people. Four guys and a man on a mat probably make for a pretty wide berth. And try as they might, the crowd is just pressed in tight, focused on the master up at the front, and they pay little heed to the pressure from behind. And they just can't get through. Anybody see a parallel there to our modern churches? Where we are so sometimes so focused we pay little heed to our neighbors who are trying to get to Jesus? Well, I'm glad this guy had friends who were undaunted. I'm going to meet these guys someday. I can't wait. And when I do, I am going to weep with them as they tell me what happened next. By the time they got there, I imagine the hope had begun to rub off on Jimmy and he was a little excited. But now the disappointment he so feared comes crashing home, creeping right into his soul when he hears them say, we can't get through. But then why are my friends standing in a little huddle like that? And what are they whispering about? What can they possibly be getting so excited about when suddenly they turn to face him and one of them says, Hang on, Jimmy, we're going to do the roof. (laughs) Oh, man. In my mind's eye, at that point, Jimmy just lets it go. These guys love him that much. They care about him that much. That they would do something that crazy. And he just loses it. Now inside the house, people, I imagine, are probably pretty irritated. This is the holy teacher who's teaching here. Can we have a little quiet up there, please? People are getting irritated at the racket above, but not Jesus. Why does he have that knowing smile? And as a hole begins to appear, as debris is falling down, chunks of tile and and dried mud mixed with straw come falling through in chunks and hitting the floor before Jesus. What is He grinning about? I'll tell you what. The utter joy He feels over four friends who with faith and passion will do whatever it takes to bring their friend to Jesus. And so up on that roof with hands trembling and hearts pounding, they slowly lower that rope with their mat and their buddy before the Lord of all. Verse 20 is very telling. It reads this way, When Jesus saw their faith, 
He said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus is making a point here. I don't want you to... I don't want to create any confusion here. Remember, the first part of the text I read was very clear to say that the house was filled with Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious elite of the day who had come from all the towns in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So the house was packed with this religious elite who had a very critical eye on Jesus. And he chose this moment to make a point about him being God incarnate, God in the flesh. And that is why he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And they say, wait a minute here, what's this bit about forgiving? Jesus was making a point that He has the authority and the power to both forgive sins and heal people. So I don't want, that's what's going on in this text. I don't want to create unnecessary confusion about, does that mean if I'm sick, I must have some sin in my life? Sometimes that might be true, but there isn't an ironclad rule that Jesus is trying to establish here. And I just, just want to make sure we're clear on that. But back to our story. And and again, now I'm back up on the roof. And I'm with the other guys leaning over, laying on the roof, looking through this hole. And I can't quite hear what's going on, but I can see. And what I see is Jesus touching their friend and making him whole. I see their buddy rising up off the mat that was his prison and walking free from it. Oh, the joy that must have occurred up on that roof. Can you imagine the dancing and the shouting and the whooping and the yelling and the high-fiving and the chest bashing? Probably a good thing I wasn't up there. I'm a little small for that. Their friend was free. Can I hear an Amen. People, do you see it? Do you see the picture in this text of life-changing community? It is so simple. It's friends bringing friends to a living, loving God. Biblical community need not be so evasive for you. It is not defined by Woodland Hills small groups. They are a means to making it happen and it is my pledge to help you do that. But my real pledge is to help you experience profound biblical community. And this morning, I believe God wants me to define it simply as this. Experiencing Jesus together. Therein is the power of God unleashed. And we are changed. And so I'm calling on you this morning to help me. I'm calling on you to make community happen. And the way in which I want you to do that, what our text teaches is this. Good friends bring good friends to Jesus. Lord, I pray that that will land. Let me illustrate by telling about something that happened in my life recently with my good buddy Paul. Paul and I are so close. We go, we've been through thick and thin together. He stood with me in some of the darkest times of my life. I love Paul. 
We play hockey together every week. We golf. We play tennis. We read books together. We pray for one another. We're close. But Paul, for a while, had been stuck in a rut spiritually. He had had, over time, developed a, a, a twisted idea of God. And, I, and, I, and I, stu- I understood a little bit how he got there. There were some wounds that had occurred in his life from church people. There were some struggles he was going through. And gradually he began to transfer situational troubles to his concept of God. And that was robbing him of his joy, of his faith, of his experience of worship, of his ability to just press in and learn more and grow in his his relationship with the Lord. And try as I might, I couldn't talk him out of it. I couldn't challenge him out of it. I couldn't confront, cajole, counsel, or coerce him out of it. My guess is Paul has very little idea how frustrated I was at my own inadequacies as his friend. His wife was sort of with him in that spot where he was at. And about three weeks ago, Kathy and I were over at their house. We just had a good time. And and it ended with us all sitting on the floor of their family room. And something happened. We just grabbed hands and went to Jesus. And the tears began to flow. And the strongholds began to break. And the healing began to happen. The scales began to fall off their eyes and the shackles off of their hearts. Jesus ministered. Why was that so effective when his good buddy and pastor couldn't speak into his life something that would help him? It's because only God can mine for gold in a dirty cave. You ever get tired of trying to change yourself? I do. And today's good news is that's okay. Because God can do it. He can mine for gold in the dirty cave of your life. It's His job. Scripture teaches us, Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But what we learn from this text and others is that God's good work, His power, is released to a greater degree when we are in biblical community. Paul and Dolly maybe could have gotten to that point all on their own, but it was when we grabbed hands and went to Jesus together that His power was released and lives were changed. How do you cooperate with God? in this process of His transforming us, grab a friend and go to Jesus. And you say, Kevin, is it really that simple? My answer is yes. If our hearts are right. And that leads me to the second thing I want to share with you today. It has to do with if you will do that. If good friends bring good friends to Jesus, I want to say just a few words about our hearts when we get there. And I want to do that 
via the shortest prayer I can find in all of Scripture. I make a habit of studying the prayers of Scripture. There are treasures there for us to mine that are incredible. I study them and then I praise them in my own devotional life. And I really like this one in part because it's so short. Uh, though you, you see me up here, you'd never know this were true about me, but people who are close to me uh, call me the man of few words. And, uh, you know, I'm not often accused of over-communicating. And uh, my wife could tell you a lot about that. But she's too gracious to do that. Let me just say, I love this prayer. In part because of its brevity, but sometimes there is a simplicity and a brevity where three words, this is a prayer of three words that I'm going to share with you. The beauty of that goes beyond. The significance of that, the impact of that goes beyond hundreds of words. It's a prayer of Abraham. And it's found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And it reads like this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here it is, here I am. That's it. What I would offer for you today is that this is a prayer of trust and openness and receptivity. It's not just a prayer that says, I'm over here. It's not a prayer that says, uh, excuse me, did you say something? It's not a prayer that says, um, what do you want now, Lord? Here I am. Now, how do I know that? What makes me say that? Let me read for you verse 2. First, I've got to turn there. Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to a region near Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Whew. How do I know what was in Abraham's heart when he said, here I am? Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and took his son Isaac and left. Just like that. He prayed it, and he meant it. Never mind that he had waited for this son for nearly a hundred years. Never mind that this was the son who was promised to him and that through whom this son, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Never mind that Abraham served a God who was not into child sacrifice. God called. And Abraham said, Here I am. Well, something remarkable happens next. Obediently, he does as he is told and they journey for a couple of days. And then at the point where... Abraham obediently has his son on an altar with a knife in hand. He hears another voice, Abraham. And he replied again, Here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
And because of his obedience, because of his openness, because of his heart that said, here I am, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And he goes on and on and on to talk about all the blessings that will come because he had opened his life to God. Now, it is another day and another sermon for me to unpack all that's going on here with God testing Abraham. But in some ways, it's almost like to me, Abraham was testing God because of his simple obedience and willingness to be open to what God had, because of his ability to say, here I am. He was putting God to the test as he journeyed out to see how this was all going to unfold and God was faithful and provided a way out by way of a lamb in the bush and and then all the blessings that flowed from that. But the point I want us to focus on today is to see the simple prayer of receptivity to God that Abraham prayed and the blessing that followed. People of Woodland Hills, God is calling your name. It may be in a whisper, it may be in a shout, I don't know. It may be in the quiet circumstances of your life right now. It may be in the midst of chaos. But He has been calling your name since you first knew you had one. And that is true for you today, whether you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ or merely a seeker. And so I ask each one of you, when is the last time you said, Here I am. I started this morning with a call to you to tap into the life of Woodland Hills Church. God is moving here. Lives are being changed. His power is flowing like a river. Are you going to stand on the shore or are you going to jump in? If you want to jump in, here's how. Just grab a friend and go to Jesus. And do it with a spirit of openness and receptivity, a heart that says, here I am. And I promise you, God will honor that. He will work in your life. His power will move your heart. I close with this. God is calling your name. And it is yours to respond. Either way you choose, you'll never be the same. I'd like to invite Norm and the worship team to return back up here. We're going to have a worship set. As they do, I just want to say this. I have been on a journey this past year in my own spiritual growth of really learning more about listening to God and having Him speak to me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Well, I'm one of his sheep and I want to hear his voice. So part of my spiritual journey right now is to learn to listen a little better. And so more than any other sermon I have spoken, I have come before the Lord and said, I want to hear you. It's not just about my good ideas. I want to hear from you. And this is what he had had me say, these two things. Grab a friend and go to Jesus and do it with a heart that says, here I am. And Friday night, as I 
went over my notes to this message, I looked at it and, and kind of, huh, that's all there is? And it disturbed me. I went out for a walk. I took our dog. We have this black lab. And we went for a walk out to the park. And I sat down on this hill in this grass. And, and I said, Lord, I could use a little more here. You know what he said? Nope. He said, Kev, this is enough. If we will just do what he said, this is enough. Come to Jesus, but grab a friend. There's power unleashed in community. And go there with a heart that says, here I am, I'm open, I'm receptive. God is calling your name. And it is yours to respond. And either way you choose, you will never be the same.